That's uh, our kuia, Te Rangi Pikinga. And when she was 16 years old, uh, Te Rauparaha came through here um, with guns and um, took her. And he gave her to his nephew, to Te Rangi Hayata. And she lived with him right to Today. her old age until she died. Did she ever come home? No. No, she never came home. Oh. And... Um, the really sad thing about it was that we didn't know her. Mm. And we went to Auckland one time. We'd just got Apirahamatipa. I was in the museum here. My mother had put him in there because she moved away and she didn't want to leave them at the house. So she took them into the Wanganui Museum and then they claimed them. Yeah, because that's where that portrait is, isn't it? Is it still there, isn't it? Hers is in the Auckland. Yeah. Oh, right. Hers is in the Auckland Art Gallery. But we've got the two of them, they're in the Wariponi, um, two of our tūpuna, her brother, and um, his whāngai uh, dad. So how old is she there, Taniana? Well, they say that she's in her 80s. Oh, mm. cut it out. Mm. My goodness. Isn't she incredible? She's beautiful, she eh? She is beautiful. And don't you love the colour? Yes. There's hardly any wrinkles on her. Oh, no. She must have had a good life. I think she was happy. I think that I think she fell in love with him. Yeah, of course. You know? Oh, that would have been terrible for yes, her. Fano here yes. just pining for I her. Know, her I parents. Know. I know. Oh I'm feeling the mama a little bit. Yes. Jeez. No, we um and it's actually one of the reasons why here on this Marae we don't do kāmati, kāmati. Mm. Of, co- of course. No, we don't. We don't do it. And, and it's, you know, sometimes it gets a little bit contentious because some of our whānau, of course, are raukawa now and ngāti tōa. So, you know, but we talk to them and we tell them it is really to honour our tūpuna and uh, the, the, the land wars and what happened here. Uh, within Ngāwāriki Ngāti Upper with Te Rauparaha. And um, we we don't think we need to apologise for not doing the haka. Mm. But you were brought up here. Yes. yes so in, that whare, in the whare tūpuna? George and I used to live in this little flat. It was bigger. It used to come right through to here. And so George and I, when my mother died, my mother lived here. We built the flat for her, and George and I lived up the road in in our farmhouse. And then um, when our mother died, George and I, our mother always worried about leaving the marae with nobody here. And so George and I shifted down here with our kids. So my kids grew up sleeping in the warepuni, and George and I had this little flat here. And we were here, right? And I'd been in Parliament about three months, and we came home one day, and George told me that he was going to move to town, that it wasn't right for him to be here on my marae when he wasn't from here. So it was hugely painful, I have to say. Oh, my God, if I'd known he was going to do that, I probably wouldn't have gone to Parliament. Yes. Get me and my baby. This is my mukupuna that George and I have raised. Kia ora, so you'll be happy about Nanny coming home? Yep. Oh, that looked a little bit... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I don't know whether she is that happy, and I think I might have left it a bit late. You know, I always thought that I was leaving so I could come home and help George. 
um, you know, to care for her, but I don't think either of them really <laughs> want me home anymore. Yeah, she looked a little bit hesitant on yeah. that answer just yeah. before, yeah. eh? I did too, <laughs> I saw that. But you're looking forward well, to coming home. I am. How significant is it that you're getting this award, the Dr Māori Le Goral Award, here? Oh, I just... On your marae. I know, it's just incredible. I, I feel really, really overwhelmed. It's only ever gone to doctors before. Of course, he was a doctor, and um, I never expected it. I definitely did not expect it. Tiani, you told the most beautiful story about your Uncle Ty. Would you mind repeating it? Yes. Well, um, one of our cousins married a Cook Island man. His name was Ta Kōpū Painui, and our families utterly loved him because he epitomised Manakitanga. He would always be here at the marae, he'd be cooking in the kitchen. And when our kids would go to school in Whanganui, they would go round to his house every lunchtime. How embarrassing. But we discovered that he would go home every lunchtime and he would cook for them. Just, he was amazing. He adopted three of our family's kids. So he did that for generations of kids? He did it. He was just amazing. Because he never had tamariki of his own? No, no. Brought up children. Mm. But no, he had no children of his own. And then when he died, the most amazing thing was that that was the one tangi that all of our young people came home to, to honour their uncle. Mm. And you were talking in your speech about how if the young men epitomised half the man that he was on... Could you, oh. what, what did you say? Look, I, I, absolutely, I used to say it to my sons and to my nephews, that if you are half the man that your Uncle Tar is, you will be great men. Because he was loving, he was generous, he was kind, and he was just so amazing to our kids. There wouldn't have been a hui or a tangi that Tar wasn't out there in the kitchen cooking and preparing kai. That was his whole life. And in fact, when his wife died, my cousin, he asked my husband for eight pigs. Eight weights. George Chait. Oh, he did. He said, eight. Oh, okay. He said he thought about giving him a couple, but, you know, it was eight. And do you know why he wanted eight? Because nobody left here without kai. So he packed up all these baskets of kai so that every family that came left with kai. It's just the nature of them. And these are the stories that are important for our tamariki mm. and for people to hear, aren't they? Yes, they are important Because stories. at times, well, not at times, we often hear all the negative stuff of what it is to be mm. Māori. Yeah, yeah. And I get resentful. I get resentful about people continuing to tell our people how poverty-stricken they are. You know, I think it's bad for our soul to keep being told that and to, and to be told that somebody else needs to feed our tamariki as well. None of that is sustainable, and that's why we've got to start thinking to ourselves, how do we continue to support ourselves? How do we support our whānau when we know that they're in need? And that's what we should be doing. You know, I don't... George and I, we had nothing when we got married. That's why my family weren't happy about me marrying him. But, you know, over the years, you know, we, we learnt. We learnt to have a big marakai. We learnt how... I mean, I couldn't cook. I couldn't do any of those things. I'd been to boarding school and then I went nursing. So, you know, living in a hostel and all of those things. 
but by gee, I learnt. And, you know, you wouldn't have even thought of not having kai no. in the house. My grandmother, no matter, well, she brought seven of us up. This is after she'd brought her own family up. She brought those of us, first cousins we were, and she took all of us in. And she loved us and she nurtured us. And some photos I look at of me at school at the time, you know, I've got my cousins who are probably five years older than me. I've got their clothes on. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's how it was. Yeah, that's just how it was. But we were all well fed. We were all cared for. I mean, I don't recall having shoes until I was eight because we didn't have shoes. But you were always brought up feeling a security and being marvy. Absolutely. And is that, is that what is lacking in generations now? I, th- I think that because of the way uh, the state and others talk about us as a people, our families have actually taken it on board and lost faith and hope in themselves about what is right for them. They believe these stories that people keep telling them and it plunges them down. You know, it's so bad for them. So, you know, we always say to our family here, you know, how much we love them, how important they are to all of us, and how much we need one but another. But you've got to mean it and practice it, eh? Oh, yes. You can't oh, just say it. You can't say it. And you've got to mean it. You know, there's no practising. Oh, yes, no, you've got to mean it. And, you know, they know. They know. I mean, you know, I've got two grandsons that have been living with me in Wellington. Do you know they're the most amazing boys? One's 19, one's 21. And, you know, my 21-year-old will ring me up at work and he'll say to me, Nan, what time are you finished tonight? And I'll say to him, I'm not sure, probably about 10. And he'll say, OK, then I'll put your electric blanket on. And I'll go home, you know, and my blanket's on and he's, you know, making me a cup of tea. And, I mean, the other one's not quite as helpful, (laughs) but he loves me dearly, you know. He texts me all the time and tells me how much he loves me. And, I mean, I've tried to have that as an important part of ourselves as a family. But that's stuff our nannies did, though, right? Yes. Our nannies used to do stuff like that all the time. Yeah, absolutely they did. I mean, there wouldn't have been one of us in this valley. We all came from big families, um, had never had anything materially. But I'll tell you what, our nannies adored us. Our aunties all adored us. So, you know, you wouldn't have thought of going to the doctor. We couldn't afford it anyway. But our nannies and our aunties would make up rongoa, fix us up. You know, I can remember when I went to boarding school, I was terrified of the doctor, especially when he wanted to look at my chest. Touch you, you know, of course. Oh my God! Yes. No one thought to my chest. Yes, that's right. No, it was it was hard. But it it taught us, it taught us how to take care of ourselves, how to take care of our families, and I'm proud of that. Now, looking at you and being here on your your par, I can actually feel that you are ready to come home. Yes, I am. You've probably been ready a couple of times over the last 18 years. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, Parliament's a hard place. And it's hard because all of the agencies, when they're looking at their policies, we've had a policy discussion here today, I think probably what has irritated me the most is that they only put one lens on it, and it's not a Māori lens. And so everything is determined through mainstream eyes. 
and it's got to suit everybody. Well, I'm sorry, it doesn't. And has that not changed during your time? No, it hasn't. It hasn't. Even though I'd love to be able to stand here and say, I have changed the world. No. Uh, the machinery of government and the agencies is huge and it's difficult. And even within the whānau order space, you know, the struggle to get that accepted right across every government agency because it's not something that is separate to any work they are doing in education and health and social and justice. You know, whakaaro, but it's whānau That's right. But it's a whakaaro. That's right. And then a practice. And then they don't believe it, you see. I know that they don't believe it. Otherwise, they would have come on board and they would have said, you are right, nobody stands as an individual. If there are issues, those issues will be there in the family and the family need to address it. I always used to say to the others, nobody fixes up anybody else. If there's issues within a whānau, they have to be brought together so that they can resolve and find a way forward for themselves. And look, I've seen many of them do it, and I love it. Now, by the time this programme plays, we'll have a new government. Yes. Well, a new situation. Yep. And what is it that you would like to have left in your departure? I would probably, for me the greatest legacy will be when the government understands and recognises the important value of whānau and that they see whānau order as a way forward, a practice that if every one of us engaged in it, and I'm, I'm not only talking Māori, the Pacific people love it, migrant communities will love it, there are Pākehā families who love it. Now what we need is for the government to trust that instead of dreaming up ideas down in Wellington, allowing public servants to determine what's a great model, they need to start thinking what's best for the families and what do they want. And they need to ask the question. And that doesn't matter who's in government. It doesn't matter who's in government. Which party it is. It doesn't matter who they are. At the end of the day, we've been really clear. And Matua Whatarangi, he... he really exhorted us that we must always be prepared to sit at the table of power no matter how hard it was because you can't make a difference if you're in opposition you can't do what you need to do and our people are in such a situation today that I think we're on a cusp of great things but we've got to believe it got to keep it moving